And what I'm going to be doing here in this session is explaining to you some of the pitfalls and some of the things that we try and endeavor to do, um, often really to our own detriment. And the whole idea of having hard to reach customers is one of those things that you know, actually might be a little bit of a red herring, as we might call it that, because sometimes hard to reach customers were not the right the right kind of customers that we should have been going for at all. So we're going to explore that. We're going to actually explore whether or not the hard to reach customers that you might be uh, perceiving, they might be prospects or they might actually be existing customers, but actually whether or not they're worth going for. Okay, so I'm not going to say that every single customer has the same level of value. I'm not going to say that every single customer has the same um, level of appeal or accessibility um, or opportunities for engagement. So we're going to explore all of these things as we go through this session. And often, um, as the slide shows, that there are times actually when our marketing and our business development and sales activities and how these all combine often feel as though they might be quite limited or they might just feel like they're failing to reach the people that we believe we want to be targeting. Okay, because sometimes it might be that we are targeting uh, an incorrect channel. So that could be a social network that really is not that applicable to the individual uh, who we're trying to target. So we assume that they must be in there because we're in there, but it might not be the case. But more often than not, when we define a customer or a prospect as hard to reach, it is often the case that there is a gatekeeper as we'll call them, between us and this target individual or this target audience. In other words, there's somebody who is a buffer between you and the person you're trying to target. Now, we'll call those a gatekeeper. And I'm going to explore that and do a bit of a deeper dive in a moment into the concept of gatekeeper, because that is quite a profound point when it comes to figuring out the whole kind of makeup of what we're going to call the decision-making unit, if you like, that everybody who is going to be buying products or services, the likes of which you know, you're offering, they will have a whole range of influences in those decisions. So we're going to explore how gatekeepers and how others around the individual that you're trying to target will influence their decisions, their experience, and how they actually search for stuff like the stuff that you do. So this is actually quite complex. This is actually quite complicated. And, you know, in marketing and sales circles, this is probably one of the most profound, one of the most challenging um, concepts, really, that we have, because a lot of the time we do take the easy option. We pick the low hanging fruit. We decide to go after what gives us the quickest return and often hard to reach customers for whatever reason. Often we perceive them as being individuals or um, organizations or teams who are going to give us a good return. So it's worth investing effort and resource and time into figuring out how to do this better. So the concept of reaching or attempting to reach hard to reach customers introduces the idea of what we might call forensic sales or forensic business development or forensic marketing. In other words, really fine tuning the targeting, really fine tuning the, um, the channels, the process, the, the kind of almost detective work that we need to do to actually find these most elusive of prospects and customers. 
Okay, so I want you almost to think as we go through this as to whether or not you are willing and able, whether you have the specialist skills or you know somebody who does, and whether actually you have the commitment and, and energy and resources to go after this, because sometimes this might just be too hard to do. Okay, so we're going to explore some ways that you can do it if you choose to do it. And there's some great benefits for doing this, because if you're finding these customers or prospects hard to reach, your competitors are also doing the same. So this could have a great reward, but it might just be a step too far. Okay, so we'll go through some of the things to think about to help you make that decision or those decisions. And a lot of this is about collaboration. So if you're sitting in marketing, this is about doing it with sales. If you're sitting in sales, this is about using the skills and expertise of your marketing colleagues to get best effect. Okay, so this isn't something you do in a silo and do solo. This is something that is best done in collaboration. And the reason for that is there are a lot of questions. You know, why is a particular customer hard to reach? You know, just that fundamental question is, look, we want to target that person or that particular team in that organization. Now, why are we finding it hard to reach them? Okay, so this is it's not as profound, but it's not particularly complicated. You know, the starting point, we get deeper into it and then it becomes more complex and difficult. But the fundamental question is, you know, why are they hard to reach? What is it that we're encountering that's making this difficult? Because normally when we do a campaign or we do a sales visit, we do some kind of targeting project or prospecting, we pick up the phone and try and contact somebody, normally we can get through. So we know we've got a good brand, we've got some great products and services, we might even be a market leader. And so we know we can do this stuff. So why is this particular customer or this particular organization so hard to reach? Now, I can't give you the answer to that. This is a lot of soul searching, a lot of honesty, a lot of discussion to try and figure out some of the reasons why. And also asking the question, are they worth it? Because not all customers have the same value. You know, it might be that other customers, you know, over there have slightly more easy to reach perspective. Maybe they have a shorter life cycle, a shorter lifespan with you but they can give you some quick returns. And if you look over there, some customers may be able not to give you a good return in the short term, but they're accessible, we can get hold of them. It's gonna be a slow burn, but in the long term, they can give us some value. So this customer who you're really trying to get hold of and you've spent a lot of time trying to get through to, are they actually worth it? And actually, are they the right person? If you're targeting a particular individual, one of the reasons why they might be so hard to reach is the fact where well, they don't want to talk to you because they're not the right person, actually. So they're neither um, interested, they're not going to be the end user, they're not a decision maker, they might not be the budget holder. And just because of their job title, you've made an assumption that they're the right person. But maybe actually they're not. And so opens up the opportunity then maybe to think about, well, OK, so if they're not, who else could be? We'll explore this decision making unit that I talked about in a moment. They might also be resistant, reluctant to talk to you and 
expand or hard to reach because they're already tied in. You know, if you're doing business to business, so we're talking more here in the, in the, in the perspective of B2B, business to business, rather than business to consumer in, you know, retail or shop fronts or e-commerce and stuff. So we're generally talking about a business to business transaction with this question. Are they tied into a competitor or an existing contract? Because if they are, then potentially they're making themselves elusive to you because, well, they've got no choice. You know, they're already tied in or they've already committed and or they've already made a decision. And to go back on that decision would actually make them look a bit bit dumb, a bit stupid because they've already committed. And so what they don't want to do is then kind of almost like shoot themselves in the foot in the organization by saying, actually, I've got it wrong. I now want to consider you guys because I don't think I made a good decision. That's very unlikely to happen, particularly if you're selling into organizations who go through quite a um, uh, sort of a robust um, tendering process, or you have to write bids and the contracts are really quite complex. And certain industries where that bid process or tendering is a long-term process involving many, many stakeholders, that can be quite complex. So they might already be tied in. So don't just make the assumption that just because you've got some great things to sell them, they're going to be interested. Okay, they might already have just written you off because they can't, they have no choice. So you need to know that as well. And I did mention right at the start that it just might be your channel choices are irrelevant to them. Um, and again, this could be personal preference. Maybe they don't like picking up the phone and talking to somebody who is a stranger. Maybe they're not active in the social network that you keep pushing through to try and get hold of them. Maybe they're not receptive to any advertising and promotion and or they didn't go to the conference or event that you were exhibiting at, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there could be a whole range, whole host of reasons why you're finding this particular customer hard to reach. So those will just be one or two or three of a number of questions that you can ask yourself. But the key thing really that we're trying to establish here is, is, is the why. You know, why do I actually want to be targeting this person? You know, and if you can quantify it and qualify it and still come up with answers that make it worth getting somewhere with this person, then you've probably ticked the box that says, right, now we've got to get super smart in the how. So if you figured out and justified the why, and it's tangible, not just fueled by ego, there's tangible commercial reasons as to why you want to go after this person, then you've got to start getting really smart. Now, I love this. I was doing a bit of research to see if I could come up with some really, really nice little quote, uh, quotes or little anecdotes um, before sort of doing this presentation. And I thought, well, actually, this is a really nice one from referralcoach.com. And they've said, start getting your electronic business card into your client's mobile phones. When they introduce you to their friend or colleague with a text, then your information gets populated in your prospect's smartphone. If your name doesn't come up when you call a te or text a prospect, they likely won't answer the call. Now, you might say, well, yeah, obviously, if your name pops up, so it looks like you're a known individual, then it's much more likely they'll answer the call. You know, you would, I would, you know, of course, it's, it's logical, common sense. But just think a little bit behind that quote and behind that scenario, because to me, that little kind of anecdote there sums up exactly what we're trying to do here is we are trying to be in the right place at the right time. We're looking to kind of pop up at suitable moments in our hard to reach customers world. 
we're looking to just be a little bit more familiar, particularly if this is a cold, hard to reach prospect. So it isn't somebody who actually knows us. We are trying to, and I'm going to use the word, and I'll use it cautiously here, infiltrate their word, their world. Now, using the word infiltrate kind of has sort of undertones of, oh, that's a little bit surreptitious, it's a little bit kind of dodgy, it's a little bit stealth. But what I'm saying is here is doing it with authenticity and it's doing it in a genuine way. If you do still believe after critiquing whether or not this person's worth going after, if you still believe this is somebody worth pursuing because you know you can add value to their world and they can get some great outcomes from engaging with you, then the word infiltration comes with good connotations. It's not a negatively loaded thing. But ultimately, this is what we're trying to do. We are trying to become part of this elusive person's world. And so we need to be subtle. We need to be smart. We need to be clever. Simply picking up the phone and saying, hi, I'm Neil. Do you want to buy my product or service? Well, I think we know the response we're going to get from that. So we have to get smart. We have to be subtle. We have to be gentle, maybe assertive, certainly professional. But what we need to do is move the game on from the typical approaches that we normally take. OK, and you'll know if you've listened to any of my stuff before, you'll know that I'm a huge advocate of defining customer personas and then actually choreographing journeys, customer journeys for those personas. So you take them step by step through a process of interaction and engagement to get them to a defined point. And that generally is the point of conversion. So they're confident, they trust you, and then they buy your product or service. That's the customer journey at the awareness phase. Now, with hard to reach customers, that almost kind of goes out the window because it's a lot more complex. It's a lot more complicated in terms of the the sort of unpredictability of the process that they're going to go through because they're going to put barriers up or people on their behalf, the gatekeeper, are going to put barriers up. And this is what makes it more complicated. This is why they're hard to reach. So business to business, particularly buying, doesn't play out in any kind of predictable linear order. Instead, and this is according to Gartner's research, customers engage in in what one might call looping across a typical B2B purchase, revisiting each of the six buying jobs that they have at least once. So buying jobs don't happen sequentially, but more or less simultaneously. So here's our first level of complexity. Okay, so if you are going in with a business to business sale to try and attract somebody or reach somebody who is elusive for whatever reason, you need to be very, very aware that they could be at any one of the six stages or jobs, as Gartner calls it, of the buying process. So they could be at the stage of problem identification. So they kind of really early in the process identifying what their real true problem is. They could be at solution exploration. So they could be looking around, maybe doing a little bit of research or somebody's doing it on their behalf, kind of sussing out what kind of solution might be appropriate to meet or match or solve that problem. They could be building requirements. In other words, if it's a complex specification or the problem is actually multifaceted or you know multi-layered or multi-dimensional, 
could be quite complicated. So they could be building a requirement specification to put out to tender, for example. They might already be at a selection of a supplier stage. So supplier selection is they're quite far down the track, but they might also be going occasionally back further upstream to readjust the tender to do more of an exploration on the solution and maybe refine the problem itself. Because having talked to some suppliers, they might have figured out actually we're not asking the right question. It's complicated. They might also be at the validation phase. So they've selected a supplier, but actually as they've gone through that, they've realized, hmm, we've chosen this supplier, but the problem is this supplier now, as we've gone and delved more deeply, as we've started this contract, they are not solving all of the problems. So now we've got to kind of go back, maybe a couple of steps back to move three steps forward complicated or they might be at stage six which is the consensus creation in other words once they launch this problem sorry this project rather to solve the problem with this supplier or set of suppliers and they've got all these requirements they're going to probably need to collaborate across the organization again it's a complex thing so when you're trying to reach this hard to reach customer, they may well be fully or partially immersed in this really complicated process. So you're coming at the game or coming at the conversation in a really simplistic way with, hey, I've got this lovely product or service I want to sell you, which is ultimately really where you're at, your head is at, isn't it? Let's be honest. Are you really looking to solve their needs? No, you're looking to probably market or sell your product. Are you looking to identify the problem with them, actually talk them and coach them through building a requirement spec? No, not really. You're trying to sell them something so you can get on to the next customer. Come on, let's be honest here. Most of us in marketing and sales have got our own vested interest at heart and we play lip service to the customer's needs. You know, I'm being controversial here, but this is the commercial reality. We've got pressures on us to deliver. We've got to do the numbers. We've got to hit this month's target. So, you know, we want to sort of crack this particular customer and then move on to the next one because that's where the volumes are coming from. From the customer's perspective, they're in a whole different mind space. And if they're in this purchase behavior and in this purchase mindset, there's a whole range of dynamics going on. And of course, as Gartner says, all of these things could be happening simultaneously. So you can't necessarily decide, oh, they're building requirements. OK, let's go and talk to them about that because that might also be happening simultaneously with validation or with problem re-identification. So unless you really do a deep dive, forensic analysis of where they are, and this involves clearly talking to them multi-level, you're never going to be able to talk their language. And so this might be one of the reasons why it's so hard to reach them, because you're just simply not talking their language and you're not identifying with the challenges that they face on a day-to-day -day basis. So you are just another call in that very, very busy day. And this is a lovely little visual from marketingteacher.com. This is a loop. It's, you know, it's all about exploration. It's all about evaluation. It's all about, you know, doing the experience, giving them exposure to the value that you have. And it's, it's doing kind of a dance, if you like, with the customer or the prospect. Yes, it's about getting in front of them and getting the conversation started, but it's about true active listening. It's about truly understanding where are they in the process? You know, you know park your products and services for now. Think about where are they? Where's their mindset? Where are they thinking? Where are the challenges? How can you add value and be a trusted guide, a trusted advisor? 
And so even if you can get one foot in the door, literally just have that door slightly ajar and be talking on their terms, truly talking on their terms. You know, park your product and service sale requirements for a moment. You've got to be talking their language because they're hard to reach. And why are they hard to reach? Because they don't want to hear from you unless you're talking about stuff that gives them a great outcome. At this stage, they're not interested in your product or service. And this is the genuine reason often why you're finding this such a barrier. And of course, it's complex. And the reason I keep saying it's complicated and it's complex is because it's not just them. Okay, it really isn't just them. In any decision-making unit, and this applies to families, for example, who are making a decision as to what to do on a Saturday afternoon. That's a decision-making unit. You know, the parents, the children, maybe an extended family, they're all contributing to how this decision is going to be made. Yes, there'll be a budget holder, probably, who's going to pay for the afternoon out, but there's also going to be a key decision-maker, maybe the children, uh, the influencers, because they're going to cry if they don't want to be there. They're going to get really excited and everyone's going to be happy if they do. This is a a family decision-making unit. In business-to-business, the decision-making unit is very, very broad. You'll see people from different disciplines, different departments. You'll see finance, HR. You'll see the buying department. You'll probably have specialists, depending on the product or service on offer here. It's complicated. So knowing the decision-making unit that this hard-to-reach customer is living in starts to kind of almost sort of figure out the ecosystem into which then you have to plug yourself. Because if you think that your product or service is just going to resonate with this one individual and your life is solved and you're going to do the sale, you're going to clinch the deal for this lovely lifelong relationship, think again. The practicality is that is not how this stuff works. So who are the individuals or who are the roles or what are the roles in the decision-making unit? Okay, so generally, you can start with the end user. So who is going to actually benefit from this solution of this problem that's being solved in the organization? So knowing who the end user is, it could be the same as the buyer. It could be the same person as the decision maker. But often, particularly in complicated products and complicated services, it's a different person who is the end user or consumer of the product or service to the person who's making the decision. I mean, an obvious example would be, for example, if you were rolling out a whole new intranet in your organization, you know, you might be the end user as a member of staff, but the IT director is the person who's going to make the ultimate decision. Maybe it's the board who are the budget holders. So, you know, there's there's this complex kind of ecosystem there who are all affecting and influencing the decision. So you might have a buyer, large organizations have teams of buyers, um, and their sole purpose is to get the best possible deal, the best possible financial return on the investment in the product or service. And they will have due diligence, they'll have processes and systems to accommodate that. So you're going to need to plug in. If that is the case, you need to find out who the buyer is for this particular customer, and you've got to plug into them too. 
There could be an initiator, somebody who identifies the problem. So almost you could do, describe them as the sponsor for this project. Now, they can be a very interesting one because the project initiator often has a vested interest that this project or this problem to be solved um, is actually achieved and is actually completed. So often they've got an emotional attachment to this particular process. And that might be way more than the end user who's like, yeah, whatever. I'm not really that bothered because I don't really understand what I'm going to be given here, but I'll have to use it because that's what the business tells me to do. So there's different mindsets at play here. But an initiator can often be the project sponsor. Now, if you can get to them and they almost then potentially could become an influencer and there could be other influencers within the organization or within this decision making unit. And all of these people, all of these roles have a knock on effect to each and every other one. So there's a communication ecosystem, a dynamic going on here in this decision-making unit that you need to plug into. And of course, you can now start to very quickly see that oh, it's no wonder they've been hard to reach because they're kind of almost submerged within this, this kind of family, if you like, or within this team of people, all of them who have got you know, very different perspectives on this problem they're looking to solve. So I come in all confident with my lovely propositions, my marketing campaigns, my lovely new glossy brochure that I'm super proud of. And I try and make that fit everybody in this organization. Well, Actually, the finance director wants to see something very different to the buyer, to the end user, to the decision maker, to the initiator. Oh, no. Now I've got to have five or six different versions of this brochure. And I'm just going to pause there. Five or six different versions of this brochure. The answer is yes. That is absolutely five or six different versions of the proposition, five or six maybe different tones of voice or subtle tuning of the messages. This is why some customers are so hard to reach, because you're going in with one size fits all. And if it's a sales call or if it's a marketing campaign, if you're expecting this to really resonate with the same level to everybody in this decision making unit, well, good luck, because that is not going to happen because they're all individuals with a different view of life and a different view of this project. So we've got to be super smart. Now, sitting on the outskirts of this can be this person or this role called the gatekeeper. And we will talk about the gatekeeper because they can be a really, really trusted ally. A lot of people, particularly in sales, when they know there's a gatekeeper, i.e. could be a PA, it could be somebody whose role it is to be the saboteur for people coming in from left field and kind of trying to sell products and service. They're often perceived as not being particularly helpful. They're often perceived as being somebody who is you know, kind of averse to kind of passing you through. But there are ways, and we're going to look at that in a moment, there are ways of actually getting to this person and encouraging them. In fact, actually really, you know, empowering them to be a useful ally, because often this person, this individual knows more about the dynamics within the organization than anybody else. Often gatekeepers, they know how to unlock the gate. They've got the keys to tapping into lots of people at multiple levels in the organization. So they're going to be really important to reaching this hard to reach customer.
But before that, we need to just figure out and map out who our decision-making unit is. And we need to get our customers, the knowledge about our customers really, really to you know, multiple levels deeper. So we need to know all the titles and positions that these individuals hold. We need to know their individual impacts on the decision-making process. So you become a detective. This is why I used the word forensic at the start, because this is where we need to go with this. We need to understand what their priorities and goals are. We need to understand their role and how and who they're being influenced by. We need to understand what kind of information they might need as an individual. It's complex. So by building a matrix, by building a, a knowledge information system, this might be something you've got in your CRM, your customer relationship management system. Maybe go back and if this is an existing customer who you're trying to tap into, but they've become hard to reach, maybe go and look back at some of the customer data. If it's a prospect, somebody brand new, this is something you need to create and log. So don't lose this information because you'll probably, by doing this activity, take so many more steps in advance of the competitors. So you need to log this because this is like gold dust. So where can you find this information? Well, a lot of this stuff is publicly available if you look for the subtle clues in places like LinkedIn and Twitter. For example, particularly LinkedIn right now, you can see who is connected with who. You can see what topics are they kind of resonating with. You can see are they actually contributing to certain message threads on particular topics. And you can sort of see which groups they've joined, which might give you a bit of a, a hint or a clue as to some upcoming projects because they might be using LinkedIn for research. Start obviously by getting into some conversations. So figure out how can you get in and start to talk to people. Do the research. Ask the experts for their opinion. You know, research doesn't have to be just you're filling in a survey. It can be that you are looking to glean information so you can match what you do with what they do and what they need. And also discussing it probably at length within your organization. That is really important because if you can tap into maybe customer support or customer service, find out what data they've got on this organization. Ask if you're in marketing, ask sales. If you're in sales, ask marketing. Has this person or this organization visited our website? Are we connected with them in our social accounts? So start to talk and collaborate internally because just one person doing this you're going to lose the will to live. But if a number of you are doing it, you can very quickly, if you're putting this information cleverly and clearly into some kind of information system, simple thing could be a spreadsheet or a Word document, more complex is a knowledge information system or a CRM. But if you can capture this information and look for how people and individuals and roles in this hard to reach customers organization, how they interact and look for common themes and threads, because those things things might give you the guide as to where to go next. But all of that said is that the most potentially important person in this hard to reach customer, irrespective of the noise, the scale, the busyness and the breadth of that decision making unit, the gatekeeper can be your trusted resource. So don't think of them as an obstacle. Your competitors will be thinking, oh, there's a gatekeeper there. To get through to Bob, I need to go through Bob's gatekeeper. I can never get hold of Bob. Bob's always allegedly out of the office, but I know Bob's in the office because his car's in the car park, but I can't get through to him. 
Treating the gatekeeper as a resource, not an obstacle, is the surefire way of potentially opening the doors. Don't call them, though. This is an interesting one. There's a lot of research here is that, you know, the, the surefire way of actually turning the gatekeeper off is to interrupt their busy day. Figure out a smart way of getting to the gatekeeper, asking for information, asking for support, looking for guidance and advice, building that relationship without a phone call. This is where the cold calling, because you know that the gatekeeper is going to have probably had 20, 30 calls of the same kind of cold calling nature that day. So when you call up with your lovely products and services and your wonderful proposition, is it any wonder the gatekeeper sat there thinking, I do not want to talk to this person. I need to get you off the line as quickly as possible because I have a busy day. So figure out a way through maybe email, through maybe text, through certainly through social of actually establishing some kind of relationship with the gate holder. Because once you do that, you have at least one foot in the door. There's a load of research. You only have to Google this. There's a load of research and lots of really great anecdotal examples of how to get to and through the toughest gatekeepers. Uh, this one nicely from spotio.com. It says, quick little six steps, lead with respect and integrity. Be assertive, totally, but respect their time and their position and be in, um, you know, working with credibility and integrity. You be professional because they are certainly going to be professional to you. Add a personal touch. That doesn't mean you need to get all pally-pally in the very first call or the very first connection, but adding in some kind of personal understanding that you get them is really, really key. Clearly use basic manners. Show that you're actively listening to the challenges. If they say, I can't speak to you right now, arrange a time to call back for that information that you're after. So really respect their time. Their time is their most valuable asset. Whatever they tell you, it's their time. Ditch the small talk. They do not want to share with you. Well, are you having a great day, Neil? You know, so tell me about your day. How's it going? They're not going to want to tell you that. Who are you anyway, calling them up or sending them email? So ditch the small talk, give them value and do your research in advance. If you can find out little anecdotal things that give value to them, this can often, according to the research, be one of the key ways of actually just opening that relationship. BabelQuest has a lovely, lovely, babelquest.com, lovely, lovely anecdote that I found, which I'm just going to read to you because this is a really, really good one. Okay. So what BabelQuest say is try showing some knowledge, evidence of research or a connection with Bob. Okay. So Bob is the person you're trying to target here through the gatekeeper. Clearly state the value to Bob of having the conversation and make it obvious you aren't calling to give him a sales pitch that might sound like... I know Bob has been actively researching solutions to XYZ problem. This is something we help him with. I don't actually know if Bob is a fit for what we do. So I'd like to ask a couple of questions and see if I can offer some specific advice. Now, you'll know this because Bob has actually been researching stuff because you've seen it from Bob's travels actually within LinkedIn, for example. So you've seen Bob's asked a few questions on this topic. So you've now got a little bit of insider knowledge. So that could be useful. Or BabelQuest goes on, you could say something like, Bob and I are connected on LinkedIn and he downloaded our ebook on XYZ. Often that's a sign that people are trying to find the best way to do X. I wanted to ask him some very specific questions to see whether or not I can point him in the right direction. 
Now, the essence here, and this works well with the gatekeeper, but also amazingly with Bob, who you know has got this challenge, who's looking to solve this problem, is to give before you get. So even though you are chomping at the bit to try and sell this product or service, park that and give Bob something for free. No commitment back from Bob, because the law of reciprocity means that he will psychologically and subconsciously feel almost obliged to give you something back. There's a wonderful, wonderful thing that goes on there. The law of reciprocity. I have to be careful I say that because it's a very tricky word to say. The law of reciprocity. But if you give Bob stuff and you give the gatekeeper stuff, you've made their life easy. And then if you then send them another message, it's like, oh, there's Neil again. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was really helpful last time. And like all his competitors. Yeah, I've got, I'll give Neil a bit of the time of day. Oh, Neil wants a quick call with you to 10 minutes. To ask, ask a quick couple of questions. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll put you through. So this is the kind of stuff. It's not rocket science. Getting before you're gi uh, sorry, giving before you're getting is, again, a surefire way of making sure that you're actually getting through to this hard to reach customer in such a way that you're building the relationship. And that is really the fundamental building block here. We're not when we're looking to sell to hard to reach customers, looking to sell to them. That will come once the relationship is there through this complex, complicated um, and actually at times infuriating decision making unit. But if we can do it in such a way that it builds that trust and familiarity by giving before we get, then this is the way to build that relationship. So I want to give you the top 10 tips that I've created for reaching hard to reach customers. So tip number one is trusted intermediaries. The gatekeeper is a trusted intermediary here. But if there's others that you know um, outside of the organization, or maybe you've got a buddy or you've got a colleague or a client who you did some work with before who will give you that introduction and you know that Bob trust this person because they've been connected for 20 years, you know, they actually went to college together or whatever it was, that is a trusted intermediary. So hard to reach customers being given a referral to you rather than you having to go direct to them. Again, surefire way of getting through that very first kind of block or that sort of perceived negativity of this is a complete stranger. The next thing is peer advocacy. Again, you can use things like LinkedIn here to kind of build that awareness of, oh, that guy, he keeps popping up. Every time I kind of put this question in, asking about this particular kind of product or service, and, you know, Neil just keeps popping up. Well, this is interesting. And it's about advocacy. You're being basically advocated for being in the right place at the right time. So if you know somebody who knows this, Bob, um, you can actually get potentially a connection that way so the peer advocacy is very much about the the whole idea of you know if you get into one person so if it's the gatekeeper who can the gatekeeper introduce you to oh it's the initiator of the project so who can the initiator um, introduce you to oh well that's actually that's the buyer and who can the buyer and so what you're doing is you're piecing together this little jigsaw and it's peer-to-peer -peer advocacy and you can name drop you can you know approach in such a way that you sort of say look um sort of um john over here gave me this information but i want to talk to bob john can, can you actually introduce me to bob because you know i've got this thing i just want to sort of help both of you guys kind of do this just you know kind of make it a conversational piece and that can be a very, very effective way of starting to build this network internally. 
You can also look at what we might term micro-influencers. You know, a lot of the time there will be within your Bob, let's just call him Bob uh, for, the, for this uh, process. But, you know, if you're looking to attract Bob, Bob is influenced by others outside of the decision-making unit. So micro-influencers within his community, within his um, job title or his job spec, if he is part of a, um, a series of groups, if he's part of a number of networks, the most influential people in those networks can also be introducers. And they can obviously have a huge part to play in just giving Bob that sort of confidence that, okay, I'll give you five minutes of my time just to kind of, yeah, just sort of see where we're at with this. Another way that you can do it, once you kind of do get that foot in the door, reaching this hard to reach decision maker or budget holder, for example, is use multi-level, multi-staff account-based management. Bit of a mouthful, but the fundamentals here are really, really important. Multi-level, so creating a matrix of senior people as well as tactical operational people. Multi-staff, so actually bringing people from your organization into the mix. So it's not just all reliant on you. So if you have um, sort of Sue in your team who can actually then work with Mary in the team in this customer, and actually the two of them can combine because they've got specialist knowledge, then they can relate to each other. And actually they talk a language you don't even understand. Then that's the multi-level, multi-staff account-based management approach. So you're actually aligning people in your organization as specialists with people at the same level, but the same kind of specialist or discipline in their organization. That's a great way of building multi-level and multi-staff relationships so that you can then start to really see, you know, a deeper understanding. And of course, every interaction needs to include the outputs from those conversations. So that's where a CRM is really important. If all of the above has just become too, too hard, you might find it's useful to actually partner with complementary businesses. So actually, if it is a pitch or a tender that you want to go into, what other companies is this hard to reach com uh, customer actually using? Because if you could partner with them, that might be a way to actually get in foot in the door. So you provide maybe white labeled or third party services to this particular partner who are already in an established relationship with the organization. So you're kind of coming in sort of under the radar, so to speak. That can also be a really neat way of building initial relationships when literally the gatekeeper says no every single time. Also looking to establish collaborative solutions. And this is about the giving before you're getting. This is all about understanding that you might need to introduce them to other people. And ultimately, it might not actually be you that provides the solution. Because if there's a better fit elsewhere and you can introduce that somebody else, well, what kind of credibility does that give you? Huge. You might lose out on that initial sale, but they will come back to you in the future because you are a trusted guide, you're a trusted advisor, you're a trusted partner with a small p. So be always on the lookout for collaborative solutions. Because again, if you're looking to build long term brand awareness and brand credibility with this hard to reach customer, that can really do it well. Also, another one which is about the seventh one on the list of 10 is pivot your USP towards them. So again, this just comes back to reminders. Don't assume that where you went in is going to be where you ended up. So if your products and services you think got a lovely fit there, but actually the customer gives you feedback that yeah, they don't really, because actually when we have these conversations, you see that they're not really that well fitted 
then are you able and willing to pivot what you do? And even if it is your unique selling proposition, so you're going to have to kind of almost go back to the drawing board and reinvent yourself. The question is, are they worth it? They might be. This could be a big big ticket relationship for the future. If it isn't, well, you've got a choice to make here as to whether you want to do that. But pivoting, in other words, fundamentally changing direction to provide the solution or to provide the positive outcome in this particular hard to reach customer, it's a choice that potentially you have. We did talk a little bit about kind of showing up at key moments. A lot of this is about playing the long game. You know, if you think that this webinar has given you a few ideas and you're just going to go out and crack it this afternoon, the chances are that is not going to be the case. This is all about being patient, thinking of the slow burn, doing the research, taking your time and showing up on the radar of the hard to reach customer at just little moments where, you know, they are making decisions, they are considering, they are going through those meetings they are potentially putting stuff out for tender as you grab all these little pieces of intelligence and feed them into the pot if you spot there are key moments where you could just serve up something you could just be there on their radar digitally at an event or literally rocking up at their reception in their office whatever it happens to be then if you can show up at those key moments suddenly you become Yes, spookily useful to them because you're able to provide stuff that they need right there in that moment. And if all of the rest of this kind of gets you so far but doesn't get you over the line, I would say be proactively elusive. If you've dangled enough carrots in front of this hard to reach customer such that you think I have now done everything I can, I've done multi-level, multi-staff alignment, I've done a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of stuff that's been really, really useful to them, I've given a load of things, I've got the gatekeeper relationship, but actually they're just not converting, they're just not going the full sort of you know full mile here. Be proactively elusive. In other words, it is this kind of law of scarcity. If you've given them enough information and then they just don't quite go there, be elusive. Almost don't be too helpful because there is a danger in sales and marketing. We just want to be there. We just want to be really super helpful and super useful all the time. And yeah, we'll bend over backwards to be there 24-7 for you. But actually, if you're not and you're a little bit harder to reach, The law of scarcity psychologically and subconsciously makes you more attractive to them. And if you have got the confidence to do this, having done all of the above to the best of your ability, just watch what happens because psychology says they will come to you rather than you have to keep pushing on a door that, you know, potentially is starting to close. And ultimately, point 10 on my 10 tips for reaching hard to reach customers is know when to call it a day. It might be that having done all of the above, having spent six months doing research, having got everybody involved, you just decide, do you know, these guys are simply not buying it. They're simply not engaging at the level that we want. They're not just really showing us evidence that we're going to get a good enough return on our investment of resources and time. And you know what? We could go over there. Look, there's a customer or prospect over there that we're going to have a go with. We've learned a load of stuff. We've got a great process and a great system. And that might be the correct answer. 
So just because a hard to reach customer looks like it's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow doesn't necessarily mean that when you've done all your due diligence and you've set all this up and you've answered all the questions that they still are. So if they're not, don't be too stoic. Reaching hard to reach customers, the ultimate kind of sales and marketing challenge is not about being stoic. If you know when to call it a day, you're serving your organization really, really well.